Welcome to Hellbent for Metal, the podcast that knows sometimes a cigar is just a cigar, but also knows sometimes that massive weapon the singer is holding the promo shot looks like a giant phallic metaphor. Uh, uh, although, that said, I haven't actually had that many good look at my axe promo shots recently. Should we start asking people to send them in? Like, send us your phallic photo shoot shot. I'm not going to turn that down. That's, that's not an invitation for dick pics, obviously. If anyone's getting <laughs> an actual port, is going to get deleted. We're talking metal bands holding something that is meant to look like one thing, but we think looks like another. I was going to say, um, one of our guests on today's show is going to make Costi look remarkably heterosexual, but you've scuppered that already, haven't you? Oh, steady now. I don't think remarkably... Uh, well, I, I think even heterosexual is pushing it, to be honest. <laughs> and it's just a different type of gay, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, he's m- much more into pop music than... Well, I was about to say, no, even then, I was about to say more into <laughs> pop music than us, but then I went, no, not you. Like, I kind of, I kind of flirt with it a little bit. You know, I'm kind of like the, I'm kind of like the uh, discreet bi guy hanging around on a grinder when it comes to pop music, whereas you're like full on, no, I hear all exactly what I want. Here are all the tribes that I, I am interested in, and it is my respective position. And, you know, the, the, into, in pop music terms exclusively. In, enough about. Let's not talk about Grinder already, because we are, we're going to have a lovely time, and uh, Grinder is not. And also, we need to stop talking about things that sound like knobs, because otherwise, we, I'm going to make a political joke, uh, which isn't what we do, because this is Hellbent for Metal, the LGBT plus heavy metal podcast in partnership with Knotfest. I'm Tom Dare. Yeah, right. Uh, and with me, as ever, is a man known for his absurd height, deep voice, fondness for weird black metal, and absolutely shameless, shameless. I tell you. Love of new metal. Oh, and exquisitely groomed Norwegian men. Ain't that so, Matt, Matt Russian? God, mate, it was a it was a thing when it that was a time. <laughs> what a nice man he is. <laughs> yeah, oh. So we went to Leprous in Leeds on Friday, and we didn't know we were going to be going to Leprous until quite late because it was only announced like seven days before the gig. Because they were meant to be playing in, I think, Nijmegen in the Netherlands, and yeah. oh, sorry, Nijmegen. And uh, that gig got cancelled because COVID, because the, the Netherlands is back in lockdown. We in the UK, despite Omicron flying around, are, are not yet. We're apparently allowed to go where there are people for at least the next... We're being told that Christmas is going to happen as normal, so I'm preparing for Christmas to be cancelled. Um, yeah, like on the 23rd, much like last year. <laughs> yeah, exactly, like last year. It's like, no, this Christmas will definitely be better, 23rd. I'm asking you to stay at home. Yeah, but God, leprous in Leeds were fucking incredible it was a very nice time um yeah got to the venue eventually met yeah, you went to the wrong one nice. yes i know i know i still i don't i don't understand how it happened because it didn't even say it on my ticket like even the door staff said oh yeah I, you know it said it on your ticket i get it like it's fine but i looked after it it actually didn't so <laughs> i don't quite know what happened yeah no you went to was you went to the wardrobe and it was actually in the yeah. warehouse yeah yeah just like a mile away <laughs> but on the plus plus side you got up exactly the right time to meet the man that you're completely in love with and there's no restraining order yeah it was quite something um cuz I sort of my taxi driver dropped me off at the back of the venue and I was like, walking up to the tour bus and there was this like tall blonde guy but facing away from me I was like oh, it can't be and then he turned around and it wasn't and then like five seconds later Einar came around <laughs> fucking walked around I was like oh my god and in the words of Miriam Margulies you remembered so distinctly that you started to cream in your knickers yeah I, I don't I mean I don't really remember much of what happened I think I did fanboy a little bit to be quite honest I, I, yeah I'm not surprised 
Um, is he taller than you or not? Because he, he looks tall, but not not only kind of Norwegian tall, not um, you tall. He, he, yeah, I mean, I don't think he's taller. He might be as tall. He might be like six three or something. I don't know. But uh, he he can he can sing a bit, can't he? And he he's written a couple a of good songs with his mates. I think I said to you at the time as well, like because obviously he doesn't really scream anymore, but did a lot of the older stuff where he was, and like yeah. I've never heard him scream so well. Like it was incredible. Uh, I think I have, but I've never heard him sing better, which yeah. is is always the the difficult thing, right? It's it's if you the reason people stop screaming is that it makes them sing better, but some people can sing beautifully and scream beautifully at the same time. Michael Ackerfeld, most obviously, yeah. um, but uh, yeah. we need more lepra shows, please. And can we? I have to say as well, that wasn't the set list I'd have picked, right? Because obviously, some of the stuff I just I just never heard. Like the first two um, demos, no one's ever heard. Really, they're not they're not available. Like they're around, but only a few people in Norway got them. So it wasn't like it wasn't my set list, quote unquote. I still wouldn't have changed the fucking song. That was amazing. No, I mean it was a wicked thing with obviously you know two drummers and bloody trumpet player and everything. It was a yeah. really cool like event of a gig. Yeah, even though it was like it was wasn't supposed to happen. Like the one that was the UK date was in London. That was it. And you were going, and I went because I live further away from London than you do. I went. That looks a bit expensive. I don't think I can really justify that, particularly because it like it's getting quite close to Christmas and I'm gonna have to make another trip to London at some point soon. But I went. Leeds is fine, I can do that. And when that got announced, I was like, yep, 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 I'm going to that. I'm also going to smack my microphone so that there's a big clank. But anyway, enough of exquisitely groomed Norwegian men singing wonderful songs, or we're going to start sitting here like t- t- teenage girls and fanning ourselves uh, uh, pop stars, because you know, sometimes it's appropriate. Um, we're going to begin this week, though, with something rather splendid. Um, the UK's biggest LGBT plus podcast is a show called A Gay and a Non-Gay, uh, which is where a straight man called Dan uh, has the wonderful world of queer introduced to him by a gay man called James. This summer, Dan turned the tables on James by taking him to Bloodstock, because, you know, of course you do. Um, Dan, obviously being a metalhead, he wasn't just picking somewhere at random saying, I'm going to give you a horrible time, because that would have been very odd, because he'd have had a horrible time today. Um James is staggeringly not a metalhead. I mean, really not a metalhead. And they've made a documentary film about about it. Uh, it's called Sashay to Hell, uh, and it's available to watch on the BBC iPlayer right now. Uh, we have seen it, and we both think it's great, right? I'm not putting words in your mouth saying that. It's a very entertaining watch. Um, seeing, <laughs> I mean, I think I mentioned it in the chat with him, but seeing how much James hated everything at the start to... Yeah. Sort of... Quite like, I mean, liking everything but the music by the end. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah liking the people and hating the noise. Although uh, it was really nice to see them talking to um, our friends Mountain Caller and um, my friend Sophie Kay from uh, We Wear Black. Who Have you met Sophie? I, I'm presuming because you're a little bit younger. No, just, well, Sophie's amazing. She's in it. So, and, it, and that was really lovely to see. Um, anyway, because it's something that, you, you know, obviously unites the two sides of what we're talking about, the gay thing and the metal thing, we were incredibly interested in talking to the guys about the show. So, here we are. Dan, James, welcome to Hellbent for Metal. Thank you very much for coming on. Thanks for having us. We made it. You did, brilliantly. (laughs) Um, I need to warn you in advance, by the way, at some point today, 
I'm going to refer to your podcast as a gay and a not gay, not because I don't know what it's called, <laughs> but because my brain's autocomplete function is shit. But obviously, a not gay is something very, very different. So I just want. To oh, he on. accepts non-gay, not gay, hetero, yeah. bre- breeder, all of those. It's fine. <laughs> Whatever you want. Yeah, yeah. Whatever you want, Tom. It's cool. <laughs> well, I just don't want anyone to think that I'm implying you've got a case of the not gays because that's a very, very, very different Maybe. thing. That's 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 more something from Hollywood films. Um, let's start off by asking James. Um, obviously, this was way out of your comfort zone. That's immediately obvious from the parent. <laughs> so how much persuading did you actually need to agree to make this? Um, I mean, I thought it would be cool. And Dan is so passionate about metal music and I've never allowed him a safe space. Oh my God, I hate saying this. A safe space to talk about it. Like I have, but he hasn't really bothered to explain it. I honestly think he was just so uninterested in talking to me about it because he knew my reaction would be fuck off maybe abject I horror I, I don't know horror whatever he just couldn't be bothered so i was kind of grateful for the opportunity to actually understand what was going on in that i met so many people from his scene that were willing to have a conversation with me about it well no what's you don't listen james that's the problem so oh, you, don't listen right, to anything I, you don't listen to anything i say so i've had to get other people <laughs> To, to speak to you and you've listened to them that could be true that could be true i'm not going to deny that in case he's right but either way i think dan has a short fuse with me because we've been doing a podcast for five years so some of my <laughs> questions probably trigger him more than they would perhaps someone in this film like larissa from the hugely successful metal band venom prison who was very open to having a very calm measured conversation about it Excellent. On that, actually, on that kind of the, the, the questions, Dan, were you at all worried that James might do the equivalent of asking the kind of the kind of question that, that he's probably more used to getting? So the equivalent of the, so who's the woman in the relationship? The, the metal equivalent of that question. That, so, that there might be that kind of question of the, the metal cliche. That what would that be? What would that be? I don't know I, exactly, but it's kind of like so... Doesn't it all just sound like noise? Which is the one that I my interest in, like death metal and grindcore. Means I've had that a lot. Yeah, so that that's an interesting point. I think what we have argued about on and off air quite a lot is is quote unquote screaming, and which I don't know what his opinion on it now is. But James doesn't think that that holds any merit whatsoever, um, <laughs> and that that that's like not a valid form of uh, vocals. Uh, <laughs> uh... <laughs> Gosh, did I say that? I don't know if I feel that now, but I do still think it's screaming. But that doesn't mean that it isn't art. We had quite an interesting chat with Lars and um, Sean from While She Sleeps, who basically uh, demonstrated like how hard it is to actually do that, um, which even for me was interesting. Uh, the other, what other cliches? The so James asked Danny Filth if they were Satanists. Now that's a cliche that exists. I guess for a reason, yeah. um, but I was worried f- p- from the outset potentially that this could get into a like, oh, do you worship the devil kind of documentary? Do you know what I mean? And I'm glad yeah. that we didn't really end up going down that path. But I did cringe, and you can see when I'm cringing on film when yes. James says, "Are you Satanist?" to Danny Filth. I get that that's a valid question, um, but equally, like, <laughs> this is going to make me sound like. Like I've lost it, but equally, and um, so what if they do? And um, 
do you know what I mean? Is that I, I'm not one, a Satanist, but I don't think that what they think is any different to or any more damaging than what some extremely religious people think. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, for a second there, I thought you were going to say I was really worried because it was Danny Filth. Danny can be prickly. He's lovely, but he can be prickly. He was a bit prickly with us, to be honest. That didn't really make the cut. Um, it was a bit <laughs> awkward. Um, he was I really... don't know. Was he awkward or was he just an awkward person because he's Danny Filth and that's his whole demeanour? I'll tell you this. I have done interviews with Danny which are amazing, where he is so insightful and and kind of really thoughtful and clever and you know, really experienced and talking from point place of real authority. And I've had other interviews which have gone straight in the bin. Literally nothing got used because it was so adversarial from question one. Like he just, even a really innocuous question about his new band and he just went, well, what do you mean by that question? I just, right. why, why am I starting this band? Because I want a boat. Okay. <laughs> he sort of went from one to the other, James, didn't he, Danny Phil? Like one, he, he, I think he really enjoyed it in parts and then in other parts he absolutely hated it and we were with him for like 40 minutes. Yeah, I would say he... Yeah, he's clearly a lovely person, but I guess at times maybe he's just a bit like, can I be bothered with this? Which is fine. I mean, he's doing a lot of interviews and probably a lot of people ask stupid questions like, are you a Satanist? So it, it it's legit that he would get irritated by that. I'm just thankful that he had the time to humour me. It was uh, interesting to see your three-day journey sort of uh, condensed into 30 minutes um, and how much you clearly hated every moment at the start, James. <laughs> by the end of it, you were sort of really getting into it. Like by the by the Sunday night, you seemed like you were really getting into it. Was that a lot helped by a lot of the conversations that you were having with people from our scene and sort of understanding you know, what it means to us and everything? Yeah, I actually think by day two of filming, and I can feel it in some of the interviews that, I, that I'm watching, I, I was already ready to move on. I was bored <laughs> of asking, are you Satanists? Why are you screaming? Um, obviously it was important to do those to ask those questions to open up the metal scene to people that don't understand it but i think by saturday i was like okay i could i i can i can deal with this a bit more now is that true i mean i still don't like the music spoiler alert so it wasn't really about that that's not what i'm talking about i'm more just talking about like i, I understood it i i understood yeah. the assignment and i was ready to move on but i still had to kind of ask those questions <laughs> And in terms of uh, the crowd that you sort of um, was experiencing, how, like, I don't know what, I I think you said your music taste is more in line with, like, sort of what's in the mainstream and, like, pop and all that sort of stuff. Um, So what did you think of the crowd in terms of how welcoming and sort of accepting they seemed uh, in comparison to the gigs that you're normally at? Well, should I read you my Spotify wrapped top five genres? (laughs) Yes, please. I'm genuinely fascinated. So they can find out who I really am. Um, I'm sure you can guess. Dance pop, Euro pop, deep house, Canadian pop, Carly Rae Jepsen, (laughs) and house. So those are my top five genres on Spotify. (laughs) Um, Yeah, the crowd were amazing. I mean, it's like any crowd. And Dan always says, metal is a a microcosm of society. And he is right in that everything is the same as everywhere else like people have varying opinions of all sorts of different things we have people coming up to us being like i hate the bbc um more so than i hate gays (laughs) yeah (laughs) so i'll take that as a win gays one bbc nil um and and i think actually yeah there were a lot of welcoming people there were a lot of queer people we met we did loads of conversations with people in the crowd that didn't make the edit and uh and they were all 
beautiful people. So yeah, I, I really did. I did come to realize that there are gay people and queer people in the metal scene. And that even if they aren't queer or identify as queer, the people that are there are ready to accept us and be our allies because they kind of always have been, maybe. On that, did you feel that you were kind of getting uh, a kind of snapshot of one bit of metal? Or did you feel what you were seeing was kind of more reflective of the whole thing? Because obviously you, it's kind of your first experience. So like, I have no idea whether you kind of came away with the impression of, okay, well, let's maybe it's not all like that. Or no, that is what, that's what it's all like. I don't understand the question. <laughs> Does that answer the question? <laughs> well, I mean, it's, yeah, I, what, yeah. I think me not understanding that question shows you my ignorance about metal. So maybe rephrase it so I can understand. So, like, if you, I'll give you kind of a, a, a much more broad example. If you go to one football match, right, the crowd might give you an, might give you an impression of what football's like, but you have no idea whether it's exactly the same if you went to another ground or a, a different type of, uh, you know, a lower league or a different country or whatever. And I kind of, I kind of wanted to to know whether you reckon that's what you saw is is like that you know what i live in boxes i'm a gay right. i was part of the lgbtq plus community so i i kind of whether right or wrong like i identify in a box and a minority so i think when i go to like a steps show i'm like oh this is a steps crowd but i'll go to a spice Girls show and it's the same crowd so i don't really know if i understand what you're saying because to me yeah a metal festival that's a metal crowd so is is that crowd different to download or reading is reading a metal festival <laughs> like i don't know probably not in my head they're all the same but you're telling me they're different well i i guess what i'm get kind of angling at is that we like speak such an idiot <laughs> it's fine believe me there are situations which you would which you've discussed on your podcast where i would sound way dumber um the, i guess what i'm getting at is that my experience of doing our podcast is that we talk to loads of different people and you get a really broad range of perspectives on what metal's like so for example we've you speak to mountain caller in the documentary and yes. what they say to you echoed what they said to us which is that when we encounter people do people have a problem with the fact that we're gay no do we encounter people who are misogynistic to us absolutely they said exactly the same thing to us we've also spoken to people who said no i've i got told by someone within the industry don't talk about the gay shit here and so you kind of get you get quite different perspectives of what metal's like depending on who you're talking to and i kind of yeah. i had no idea whether you came or what a feeling that you had any kind of idea that it was quite a complicated picture or whether i think uh, yeah i absolutely think it's in terms of a queer space i don't think the metal community is a safe space for queer people but i do think it's a welcoming place for queer people because i say safe space meaning a space deliberately created for gay people to be welcome and so you might feel safe at a metal festival if you are gay, but it isn't our space. I think it is a metal space and we're kind of there and accepted. And what I've learned about the lyrics of metal from reading them, because I can't understand what the hell they're saying when they're screaming them. It's fine, I can't either. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> that was a joke. Um, what I've learned from it is that, you know, they are pro-gay marriage. They are down with the patriarchy. They want to burn the government. And I think... In terms of the political message of metal, 
uh, we are really mu- we are very much aligned. But within that community, there are obviously still dickheads. There are still misogynists. There are still homophobes, transphobes, etc. Because, like I said a minute ago, and like Dan has told me for years, <laughs> it's the same as everywhere else. And we saw that with the director of Bloodstock, who's had to step down over the pronoun scandal. Like that's one person. That doesn't define everyone at that festival or all the bands playing at that festival. F- far from it. And on that, how I'm, uh, having done this film where everyone was really welcoming and it was kind of this this in terms of the crowd i know you didn't like the music but in terms of the crowd it's this great experience you kind of get back and you're oh that was great wasn't it the film's going to be great and then that happens how embarrassing was that for the two of you i think i'll go first because i bet dan has a different opinion i I was like, oh, for fuck's sake, like, what a stupid thing to do. Why, what? But I didn't really care because I genuinely am used to this sort of shit. It didn't really surprise me. And I wasn't, I didn't come away from the festival being like, oh my God, it's gay pride, but with studs and <laughs> loud music and screaming. It, it was a metal festival. So of course there's going to be someone there that has a dickhead opinion. And so I wasn't that bothered. I just thought, cool, well, that's normal. But Dan, I think, has taken it way more personally than that. And that's probably because he was trying to convince me and the rest of the world that it was a safe space for queer people. But I'll let him speak to that. Yeah, I guess, basically, I've been trying to say this whole time, <clears throat> excuse me, that, uh, yeah, it is a safe space for LGBTQ plus people. We're not homophobic. We're not transphobic. We're very accepting. We're very opening. I firmly believe that. But that has been undermined somewhat by her tweeting this i mean undermined quite a bit and also the fact that she tweeted it and action wasn't really taken for quite some time until i think the sophie lancaster foundation um stepped in and were like oh we're gonna have to have a chat about this so yeah it was incredibly annoying and frustrating and yeah whilst she doesn't represent um our community at large or any of my friends or any of the people that I grew up with in Birmingham, which is, you know, very alternative, or should I say has one of the biggest sort of alternative scenes. Whilst it doesn't reflect that, it's incredibly annoying. And it it really, you know, I don't think it has, but it could have potentially undermined, you know, the the, the message that, that I'm trying to make all of the time and the documentary is trying to make. And then on a practical level, we were deciding what we were going to do about it. It within the documentary you know it probably should have come out about six weeks ago but it didn't because we had to work out what the best thing to do with this was and we had to get it right we actually uh we had a different ending at, at one point where me and james were discussing the pronouns thing but then james decided and i do agree in hindsight that the way that we did the ending was 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 actually better because it runs the risk i think of um you know all of the good i think that we achieved across the 33 minutes of the documentary uh just sort of reduced to nothing <laughs> by yeah. us you know ending by having to talk about it but actually i think the way that we did we did end it uh you know was quite le- was quite was quite um was 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 the only way in in hindsight to deal with it but yeah i mean how ridiculous uh, I don't know how you guys feel about it. I'm sure you've discussed it at length. At length yeah, I think we should <laughs> we should probably like summarize our things very quickly. I think our opinion is we were furious about it at the time, yeah, and remain kind of very watchful. And that while this 
the, some of the things they've done in hindsight are very encouraging. We're not entirely sure if we will be going next year. But the, I think my feeling, and Matt, feel free to completely disagree with me with his, your view. My feeling is very much something that my friend Dean, who's in the film, said, which, uh, which is that Bloodstock is welcoming because the crowd are welcoming. And that it's safe to be queer there because of the because it's the crowd want you to be safe there, and that kind of what the festival organisers have said on Twitter and what they think, what their feelings about about the trans community are completely irrelevant to what the experience of going to the festival is. I think it's yeah. like anything, you know, we can't cancel America because some of the people there voted for Trump. Like, <laughs> yeah, we hate Trump. He's awful. A lot of people there also think that. And when people vote for people, they're not always voting for the same views that the person is spouting once they get into power. So I, I think, yeah, it's it's a festival of people and music and opinions and thoughts. But those thoughts and opinions are not all with the same uh, with the person that has now left the festival. I also wanted to just say, like, the ending I felt had to be different. I didn't want us to be talking about this incident ourselves because I felt like that took away from the message and the power of the documentary if it, if it just suddenly ended with us giving it undue prominence because, in all honesty, I think it's a footnote that is going to exist for a couple of years and then this festival will move on and become even more welcoming. And I didn't want it to be a stain on the work and artistry of all the bands that we'd met and spoken to. I felt like it was better as a footnote right at the end where people might not even watch it. Interestingly, a couple of people did pull out of the documentary when it happened, but then when they saw Rough Cut, they were like, oh, okay, cool. Don't worry, we're, we're happy to be in it. But I think they were just like panicked and thought, oh, shit. Like, we can't be involved in this in case, you know. And I understand that. But actually, when they watched it, they thought, oh, actually, this isn't like a puff piece for the festival. It's... Yeah, it's like the biggest fuck you ever, basically, to that yeah. person's opinion, which I yeah. love. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the hope for most of us. That it just sort of acts as a catalyst for learning and to improve them as a festival. Um, on a bit of a lighter note, though, Dan, I wanted to sort of ask, uh, Tom and I, as queer metal fans, see a lot of gay shit like aesthetically in metal um is that something that you've noticed as a straight guy and is that something that you wanted to james to see or were able to see more yourself experiencing a metal festival with him what do you mean like gay shit oh, oh where just... should we start <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean a lot of like the outfit choices a lot of like black metal specifically with like the corpse paint and all that there's so That's much which... so camp yeah I, I never really, I've only fairly recently sort of clocked onto that. Do you know what I mean? Mm. <laughs> um, I've never really given it any thought. But then again, I don't really give much thought to clothes and, and whatnot. Do you know what I mean? Like, and fashion. It's just not in my world. Um, it was only really when I read Rob Halford's autobiography, because we ended up having him on the podcast, that I thought that it sort of made sense. And I thought, oh, yeah, that is quite camp, isn't it? But I never really... <laughs> gave it some thought interestingly my friend simon um was someone who chatted to me about this the other day off, off the back of a documentary and he we, we basically had this conversation and i said yeah i never really thought about it before and he said do you, oh, do you think all those people think that they're really tough and really hard and that's why they dress like that and i was like yeah I, th I honestly think they do like i think they do i don't think they understand that it's camp or gay or whatever I just, I, I don't some of them happened. do, but I think a lot of them just think they look like badass or whatever when, when they don't, but they think they do. Do you know what I mean? Oh, James, I guarantee I could find you some stuff that you would think is camp. 
Okay, please. Send I guarantee. It. Slide into the DMs, hun. I will do. <laughs> uh, but I, like, I, I'm serious. That if, like, put it this way: if I could say, well, here is a metal show that is camp. There's no screaming, and the band sing about erections and semen. Would that be? Would you think <laughs> that actually that might be more relevant to my interests than I thought? Um. Yes. However, I still probably wouldn't enjoy the music because I. Just oh, no, don't, probably not. I just don't enjoy it <laughs> no, no, that, but, I, that's but I can but some of it i mean actually i really did enjoy some of skindred's set and some of while she sleeps music so it's it's the more musical rhythmic metal that i i knew said pop metal that i am into power wolf that some are describing are essentially just like they love pop music you can quite clearly tell as well in their song structures and everything so you might have a chance with them okay. i'm not ex- i'm not exaggerating that the singer what used to be in musical theater that's how oh, amazing yeah so uh so it i mean the, i i'm not promising you'd like any of it but i guarantee you that if we kind of sent you some stuff you would go no i see the gay i definitely yeah <laughs> well i can certainly see it in terms of the outfits and yeah and it is I, I can see how heavily influenced it is by gay sex culture um <laughs> and that is amazing and i think it's funny that loads of people potentially are just walking around not realizing that that's what's happening yeah like uh, we, when we did uh, we did a show in Birmingham a few weeks ago, and, and one of the um, people that we spoke to was a, a slightly older gay man who remembers Judas Priest back in the day, and he remembers going to a show with his boyfriend and Rob Halford coming on stage in the full leather outfit, and though them just turning to each other and looking at, around at all the straight guys enjoying it and just going, they have no idea, <laughs> absolutely no idea, and just lo- just which obviously if you're kind of if you're in that little closet walking around, is quite funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's hilarious. I should probably draw a line under this there, but um, everyone should go and watch Sashay to Hell uh, because it's really good, and I think it's a, a really nice insight into our community from the perspective of someone from the outside, but clearly made by... by with an insight into how it actually works. So that I think was, was really impressive how you juggled that. So thank you for that. And thank you for coming onto the podcast. Oh thank no, you. thanks for having us. It means a lot. Like it means a lot what you said, because you're both gay and in the metal scene and I am not in the metal scene, but I'm, I am gay. So I, I like to, to hear that from you is important because I was definitely worried that I would be offending people, but hopefully it's done some good. And we love the title of your podcast. We were like, damn it. <laughs> That should be the name of this documentary. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, we've taken that. But this episode is probably going to be called Sashay to Hellbent for Metal, if that makes you feel Oh, I love that. Uh, Amazing. Yeah, absolutely. We um, we were umming and ahhing about a lot of the titles for some time. Um, We had quite a few that that didn't make it through the... uh, through the process like from grinder to grindcore i really wanted to uh <laughs> to i like it, that and someone at the bbc actually quite liked it but it was it was sachet to hell in the end so i didn't like it at the time much like again and on gay i didn't really like the title at the time but now i love it <laughs> <laughs> well thank you both very much thanks thank you guys you may notice there was a reasonably obvious edit in that discussion there um that's not because someone said something they shouldn't have uh, that's just because the last question I asked, and it wasn't going to be the last question I asked initially, but what happened next was that you got to remember James and Dan do a podcast, right? So they're quite good at talking to each other on microphone. So when given a topic that kind of sparked their interest, which accidentally I did, they just 
went, right? And they just went off and had a conversation. And we didn't interrupt. We just watched it went. And we only kind of interjected when it was kind of distinctly relevant. And then not to change the subject, but to carry the conversation on. Um, so rather than have a re- frankly stupidly long episode, again, we decided that that's going to air separately. So that's going to go out in a couple of weeks as its own thing, because it is this little self-contained discussion rather than us chatting about you know this film that they've made. So keep an ear out for that, because that, that's coming soon. Thanks to Dan and James for coming on. Uh, great to have them on the podcast. Uh, again, Anongay is available on all the u- usual podcast platforms, obviously. Uh, and Sashay to Hell, their film about James going to Bloodstock with Dan, is on BBC iPlayer now. But I don't know about you, Matt, but after all that festival talk, that's got me in the mood for maybe being a little thirsty. We sashay, I've never said that word in, with such confidence before. We sashay into the dingy yet lush surroundings of the Hate Crew Gay Bar. Um, dingy yet lush surroundings basically sums up virtually every gay bar I've ever been to though so that doesn't really narrow it down does it uh, this is our heavy metal gay bar where every week we top up the jukebox with new releases when that's about to keep it fresh and this is the last normal one of these for the year uh, it's all getting a bit different from now until January you'll find out as we go along but, uh, as this is the last one though uh, we've once more and for, actually for the first time since September I found one checked earlier uh we've united on one album we're both putting in uh this one took about five minutes to agree on didn't it yeah i, I yeah <laughs> this is so instantaneous isn't it yeah i think we we've got the email with this album and you said have you listened to that yet and i went not yet i've been been busy actually i think i've been busy kind of getting the podcast together uh and i went and you went it's really good isn't it and i went well i don't know i haven't listened to it yet and i went listen to it and went yeah, 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 that that is really good, and it it's surprising how much a band that I know this well has managed to surprise me with how good they are. Even though I already thought they were really good, like it's not like it's a surprise that the band's good because I thought they've been good for over a decade. But it's really strong. Yeah, Do you tell them what it is. So yeah, we're talking about Vorbeat's new record, uh, "Servant of the Mind." Um, I think I said to you after. One, maybe two lessons. I say, I don't want to make any bold statements, but I think it might be their best record. I'm now like 10, 12 lessons in, and I'm pretty sure it's their best record. I usually only listen to like one single uh, before an album comes out, but I'd heard three of these, and they were all like so different, but I loved all of them. Uh, Wait a Minute, My Girl was like the most fun song I've heard in ages. The piano and the sax, the rock and roll vibe, and that key change at the end. Love that. Um, but hearing the album for the first time, like the first song, uh, Temple of Echo, um, how that sort of builds I have no into, idea. yeah, I know. <laughs> how that sort of builds into the album, and then like there's like a snake charming type riff, and it explodes into, for me, what is quite possibly the chorus of the year. Uh, like the first time I heard that, it brought such a stupid grin to my face. I find myself like belting that out whenever I listen to that, uh, you know, fist in the air, and then I sort of look around and realise I'm at home, not in a festival field. It, it's, you say that though, but it, it, my, it's not even my favourite chorus on the album, and it is oh, a really? great chorus. Yeah, Mindlock is my favourite. Oh, nice. Which is right near the end, because it's that's the other thing as well. You say like it's their best record. It's not just that the songs are belting, right? Because you could say, no, oh, yeah, but loads of twelve beat records have had great songs. And it's like, yeah, this one it's kind of start to finish. <laughs> it's like we go, 
like 11 and 12 have t- tracks 11 and 12 out of 13 are two of the best on the album i reckon yeah 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 becoming is 11 right yeah that's the one that's the, the one with the opening that sounds like born dead by death yes that death yeah i said i said to you sort of like i can hear it with a bit more sort of like bells and whistles i could hear that being like and document by like nathrak from last year or something it's it's mental like i did not expect that to come in but then sort of goes into that riff with so much groove and swagger and heft it's like a completely different song but it works so well yeah well i mean he's a but he is a michael from world beat is a proper death metal diehard right he's a huge fan um i was at the in the standing in a queue for bolt fest which was bolt throwers gig with um autopsy we're going to be talking about later actually and discharge and benediction because it's all there's always benediction around with both for our play uh and who was opening valenfire that was right uh another band we've spoken about before and uh, like i turned around and went that guy literally standing one place behind me in the queue that's michael from volbeat he doesn't live in london he's come over from denmark to watch bolt thrower he quite likes death metal doesn't <laughs> Let's be fair, I can't remember the last time Autopsy played Europe, and Bolt Thrower were clearly going to retire quite soon. So, kind of say, well, yeah, it was a a big deal. But still, it doesn't surprise me that much when they play death metal. What surprises is that they work that kind of brilliant death metal idea into then a fucking catchy mainstream metal chorus. Yeah, exactly. And that that's the thing with this album, isn't it? It's it's so varied. There are but there's like just like it's catchy throughout. The chorus um on Heaven's Descent for me with like the leads behind it to sound quite joyous. And that bridge with the sort of sing along part that you know is gonna be like the funnest thing in the world live into the solo. It's wicked. And then after that an actual pop song uh, Dagger and Fool, if I'm saying that correctly. Dagger I think, is is about is, is closer. I did try and learn a bit of Danish at one stage, <laughs> and I, that's about as close as I can do, get. Anyway. Yeah, I mean the female vocals on that and um, on the chorus, like they're so polished. Yeah. And it sort of feels a bit out of place, but like I love that. Um, I don't know how you feel about. It. I'm quite interested. <laughs> well, they've kind of done that before, haven't they? Yes. But I don't think quite to this extent. It remind you're gonna laugh at this. It reminds me of um, you know the band Simple Plan. <laughs> uh, brings a bell. Canadian pop punkers um sort of wanted to be some forty one for a bit, but like they're now essentially just a pop band. They did a song. They only have one good song. I, I honestly I don't think I could hum a note they've done. No, that's fair. They're terrible. They are genuinely terrible. They have one good song, and it's with Natasha Bedingfield of all people. Of and course, it's like, it is. Yeah, I know. It sort of reminds me of that. I really did not expect to be saying something like that about a Volbeat record, but you know, here we are. I mean, you say uh, it doesn't surprise me that much because they did um, Lonesome Rider on Outlaw Gentlemen and Shady Ladies, which is real kind of. I mean, okay, that's a bit more of the at uh, the kind of the hillbilly. The wild rockabilly. Well, no, uh, it's they're in full country mode on that song. Uh, it's more at the country and western end of their sound. So anyone who hasn't listened to Volby isn't going to have a cl- fucking clue what I'm talking about. Now I've said that Volby are like you took Johnny Cash and um, James and the James Hetfield Alan Metallica and put them into a band, right? So it's the tight right hand of the he- of of the th- of the kind of the Black Album type Metallica yeah. with the kind of the real whoa, 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 Hetfieldisms, and then like Johnny Cash, uh, 
country and western. Um, and it's it's he's got one of the most distinctive voices in metal, Michael. Yet still, it very clearly sounds a bit like James Hetfield, and it really confuses me every time. It's like, that's definitely Michael, but it sounds like James Hetfield. What's going on? The, the only time I can remember them doing that kind of real pops thing was when they did the country and western end of their sound. So maybe I see where you come from, actually. Maybe I've, I think I've just convinced myself and talked myself <laughs> around that I do understand what you're saying more. I like it anyway. It's a good. I think it's a good like middle point of the album. Uh, I, I think I think the pacing of this record is really cool with the sort of heavier and softer songs and the sort of fast and slow. Um, there's a bit of everything in there. There's so much sleaze as well, like on the Devil Rages on particularly, and so Shotgun Blues. Yeah, I love it. I do think overall the album is probably a bit long, but I wouldn't. I don't think I cut any particular song. I think it'd just be like trimming parts of songs. I think it's fun. I think it like there are a lot of covers and alternative versions at the end. I could do without them if I'm. Oh yeah, I don't, I don't listen to those. <laughs> well, I did listen to them, see if any of them were kind of worth there, but I just went like they're they're for they're kind of for people who are just desperate for more. I think, which I'm not. I think by the end of it, I'm like, and I'm now I'm sated. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, the the one criticism I always have of Volbeat, and it is it's a really minor one. And it might just be because they're Danish, and this is something that is the, lots of the other Scandinavian nations famously say about Danish people. I cannot sta- understand a bloody word he's saying. Like the, even even in places where he like says the um, name of the song in the chorus, I had to check the name of the song to see what he was saying. I went, oh, oh, he's saying sacred stones there. <laughs> I, th- I, I, with all I heard was says, and it's uh, I'm exaggerating for comic effect, but you know the the it's. When he sings, it's the it's the first time I understand the thing Swedish people say about Danes, which they sound like they've got a potato in their throat. Uh, okay, <laughs> it's that's that's it's a minor criticism. It doesn't really matter, but I cannot I, like you could. I there are songs by them that I've heard thirty times, and I cannot say a single word that he says. But like the Fallen, the, probably their biggest song, right? I had to listen to that five times before I realised that he was saying fallen in the chorus because I just heard, see me foreign. I thought he was saying foreign. I thought he'd say, see me foreign? What? And this is very, that hasn't changed. I mean, yeah, I can't, I can't say I've had that problem. But <laughs> I just think this is, I mean, it's so much fun in it. Sometimes you just need a feel-good album and I think this is it for this year. Yeah, oh, it's, it's a real feel-good album. Um Anyway, I think that's uh, that's that one summed up. So Servant of the Mind by Worldbeat has been entered into the jukebox unanimously. Matt, what have you got for us this week on your own? I've brought in the new album from um, So Hideous. It's called None But A Pure Heart Can Sing. Uh, now, these are a completely new band to me. Um, I'd never heard them before, like, two months ago when I heard um, the lead single off this album, The Emerald Pearl. So I went in completely blind. Uh, I was very intrigued by that because it starts off like you're sort of walking into a saloon for a gunfight and then it goes well jazz, which I like, um, but was an unexpected turn. And then after two or three minutes sort of decides it's, uh, uh, well, what are we actually calling this? I guess post-metal is a bass, but like, I don't know if I can know. It's weird. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the one time that I'm kind of almost willing to accept the term post-black metal because it sounds like black metal and post-metal put together. But then yeah. there's so many bells and whistles on top of it that I go, well, that doesn't really tell you anything. And also, post-black metal still doesn't actually mean anything, so fuck it, I'm still not going to allow. Um, 
sorry, that's my prejudice, and I just have to deal with it. There's no, I shouldn't inflict that on other people. I, the thing I think about it every time I listen to it is that it's kind of t- taking that thing that black metal did f- like from the beginning. So go back to kind of Mayhem, Dark Throne, those first few Norwegian albums. Take what they did and create the effect of that without really actually using any of the elements at all. So it's kind of it's got that really swirling, chaotic thing where it's kind of frightening and sad and grim and occasionally beautiful, but often kind of quite kind of dirtily beautiful, like kind of faded finery, beautiful. Um, but it's it, um, amongst all the carnage, there's still songs. And I kind of really get that vibe from it. Fair? Or am I, t- am I just being a pretentious twat? No, no, I completely, I completely get that. I mean, it's not something I sort of thought, but yeah, when I was listening to you say all that, I completely get that. I just think it sounds so epic as well, like throughout, like right from the start as well. And there's obviously so many elements to this, there's so many different parts, but like the strings that sort of come in, they, I mean, the strings sound lovely, I think, throughout the record. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, the, the strings the and the trumpet. Is amazing. Is yeah, yeah, yeah. Really beautiful. And, but like the, des- the sort of desperation in the vocals, because I don't know, like they're sort of sort of got that element of like mathiness, like, yeah, black metal in parts, but there's also that sort of, I think, creeping in, which I can hear. Um, but there's so much tension like created throughout this record as well with, you know, a load of the percussion work, the piano. Um, there's like a one note bass, I think, in the in the might be first or second song which just like you, you're holding your breath and you know it's sort of going to explode into something and then it's completely frenetic and it just unleashes and it sounds really massive and i don't know this album to me sounds like really quite cathartic it sounds like a proper release like i guess the musicians and you, you can you can tell as well like the musicians in this band are proper musicians like <laughs> they know what they're doing like yeah they haven't just picked up a guitar and are trying this yeah. out the first time, they? they know what they're yeah, doing yeah they, they understand like theory and shit so. Yeah, I mean, I think the the thing that you're you're talking about is that there's there's the tension you talk about. It's not just tension, right? And the re- the catharsis comes from the fact it's tension and then release, and then tension and then release. One of the thing that I really have got out of it is that there's this, there's a real form and a shape and a structure to it that like there's an end, right? It doesn't just yeah, stop. Yeah, yeah. There is a, it, there is an ending, and the ending is actually telegraphed several several minutes out, and then it shapes towards it. It says. There is going to be an ending soon. Get ready for the ending. Here it is, and there's the end. And it's really cleverly done, so that you kind of, for all the fact it does put you through the ringer, and it's supposed to, it's extreme metal. It, though it does that, it's kind of saying, I'm going to take you to an end point, and then I'm going to tell you it's over now. So I think that is why you get that catharsis out of it, because it re- mm. they really seem to understand structure. Yeah, and I definitely get what you're saying about like the bringing things early and sort of them understanding the structure. Like, there's a lot of foreshadowing almost, like ideas that they you sort of hear for the first time, you don't think anything of, and then you it, you listen more and more, and you're like, oh wait, I heard that earlier. That's cool, but like in different ways, and it's cool how they've got from one part to another. The start of that last song, from now till the time we're still, is really beautiful, like on piano and everything. And I love that in such a relatively short time, they can go back and forth from that and sort of euphoria to like disgusting and bleak like quite often without sounding forced it's really yeah. quite impressive i do think i want more of this though it's only like half an hour long even though one of the songs is like 12 minutes <laughs> um 
I want an opus of this. I, like, I'm properly invested in Oh, that's an interesting one. I I really like how self-contained it is. I have to I have to be honest. I I kind of find that that's what, I uh, in case I haven't it hasn't been clear and that I everyone thinks I'm sitting on the fence. I I think this is fantastic. I love it. It's really really good. I'm fully on board with this. It's cool. I really like the fact it's so self-contained. I have to say this is not my introduction to them. I actually back in the day when I was working Terrorizer, I had the debut. But if I'm honest, it didn't make anything like this kind of impact. Like, even not even close. I don't really remember it that well, though, which is kind of always a bad sign, right? If you hear something, but you don't remember it that well, it's Usually, not that yeah. great. Um, this, on the other hand, the immediate is kind of, wow, this really, really interesting. I really get what they're doing. It's really cool. And it, it's so well-shaped and got such a clear form that I wouldn't like them to start fucking around with it too much. If they wanted to do it 50 minutes, I'd be fine with that. But I think this is very much the kind of thing that it, the more it the le- the more the longer it becomes the more risk is of becoming baggy. Like it's the it's if you're going to write a symphony you've got to be bloody good, right? There's a yeah, reason yeah. that what Beethoven did is kind of hard and what no <laughs> not thought not that many other people have done it. If something is long, it's much more difficult to have it hold its structure. There's the type of my sex tape for you. But you get what I'm saying, right? Like the it, trying to yeah, make, have it definitely. make as this month much sense while it's still being chaotic. If they really did it, this kind of if they did a 80 minute double album would be really fucking hard. That's not what you're saying. I know. I know. No, you're no, no. Right. Yeah. Well. Yeah. No. Yeah. There's definitely that more risk element there. But I don't know. I sort of like to see them try. <laughs> I'm kind of happy for them to do what they want, frankly. I think it slightly depends on how often you're doing it. Yeah. Because yeah, one of the things, you know, one of the things about both Violet Cold and Unrequited is that their albums aren't actually that long, but it doesn't mm-hmm. matter because you know you're getting another one in like nine months, so it doesn't matter. Just wait for the next one, yeah. and that will keep it keep you being satisfied. Yeah, maybe that's the, th- the thing here because this is like the first fucking release in like eight years. It was only half an hour long. Come on, lads. Uh, I think five. I think it was. Well. Uh, they still a long time, it? <laughs> it's still a long time, yeah. But it, it, like, if you're doing this every f- every five years, that is not so satisfying. If you're doing it every eighteen months, I think yeah, I'd yeah. be fine with it. Um, anyway, though, um, number of pure heart can sing by So Hideous has been entered into the jukebox. Uh, my pick this week, and therefore the final regular Hakra Gabriel jukebox entry of the year is actually an ep uh, it's the new i don't know why i said that with such surprise it's actually an ep because we'd never done that before um it's the new one from demon stealer or sahil as uh, i know him um the man behind the godfather well one of the men behind the godfathers of the indian metal scene demonic resurrection uh and while that band is is more of a kind of black metal affair his solo stuff is very much death metal but while this ep is very much in that vein and you can hear you can still hear very clearly that he likes songs because it's not just atonal blasting and whittling. It's it's actually memorable, and I'm having loads of fun with it. It's called the Holocene Termination, by the way, which is a great name. One, because it's a great name, and two, because it also reminds me of the Terminal Nation album last year, which was called the Holocene Extinction, <laughs> and that album fucking oh. ruled. I kept bloody writing the name wrong, that's why. Yeah. Yeah. It's called The Holocene Extinction was last year, and that's a fucking great record. So, you know, anything that reminds me of that is good is good. Um Matt, you're not the biggest death metal fan though. Mm. Is this doing anything for you at all? This is fucking excellent, yes. Um 
I liked this right from the off as well. It took me about 10 seconds, and I was like, yeah, I'm in. <laughs> um, those, like, evil arpeggios, like, that's my shit. We talked last week about um, sort of me being quite picky with death metal vocals specifically. I really like these. I like the groove of this album, the urge of me being the urgency. I love the harmonics going on. It's, I mean, it's hectic. There's a lot going on. It's not exactly straightforward, but I find it quite like memorable, like really memorable. In fact, I'm yeah. re- really into this. Cool. Yeah, because he he, I've seen him lose his shit to Dimu Borgia, right? So he's yeah. he's not a musician. Oh, he who, loads of that, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Very clearly, but he's not a kind of guy who's going to write songs which is just about kind of making you want to feel like the end of the world, right? He's not going to like write an immolation EP. Although actually him doing an immolation EP would be wicked. And I really like immolation, so I made it sound like I don't. One of my favorite death metal But his love of a melodic line and a a hook is all over this. Yeah, there's those clean vocals in uh, From Extinction Begins Evolution. They're really, really cool because they're not quite clean. Um, (laughs) And I, I love that sort of thing. They've got like that grit to them. They've got, I guess he's going into like a bit of a, different register but it's not screaming as such and they just go into this like massive stompy riff and this nasty bass tone and then there's a wicked solo from nowhere like for 19 minutes there's so much cool shit going on here and the female vocals in the last one as well did not expect that but really nice they're not like super polished but i mean she has like a great tone and really good melody and yeah somehow it sort of fits with the quite horrible main vocals <laughs> yeah it's veronica from flesh god yeah, that makes sense uh, he's got a bit of a guest list for it which is is really cool so there's the um the solo in uh which song is it uh the solo in the holocene termination itself uh is i think nick padovani who i believe played on the uh the beast was it the beast of nod album i swear he's guested on that Cool. I, I'm going to have to check that because otherwise I'm going to realise I'm completely wrong and this is going to go out and I'm going to feel like a massive twat. Uh, yes, he was on the Beast of Nod album. My memory cool. has not failed me. Yeah. My yeah. Uh, ridiculous facility for retaining trivia remains. I've, it's, it's really sad that one of the things I'm best at is remembering inane bollocks. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I could just compile stuff like that. It makes sense that that's her from Flesh God, though, because the last minute of that song as well, it goes all sort of classical inflected, uh, which yeah. you know, they like a lot. So. You, well, definitely. I think it's it's a lot less brutal and, and more kind of shaped than that. Though. Yeah, there's yeah. Um, there's a, a real kind of uh, dying fetishism on an epoch of degradation. Now, that song's actually quite a good example, though, because Sale's a veteran musician now, so he's really experienced at writing songs. And frankly, it fucking shows... Like there's an ebb and flow, and there's hooky bits, and there's bits that tear your face off, and there's bits that surprise you and make you concentrate. And it's, it crucially, it also is all wrapped up in someone who it wrapped up by someone who knows that death metal has to be fun. That's what it's there for. Even when it's trying to be evil or really turbo brutal, it's still got it's still got to be fun. It's not black metal where it's no mosh, no core, no fun. It's no let's let's enjoy ourselves. It's just, it's not just yeah. someone going, yeah, death metal's wicked. It's actually, you know, there's, there's technique and, and experience behind it. 
yeah, I love completely. It. And it and it doesn't let up like at all. And it's in and out, like I said, in sort of short time, leaves me wanting more. And I love that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not his first release. So I'm, I'm I would hope there's going to be albums. I'm, I think the economics of making stuff like this is sometimes um, the partially the reason that not much more comes from him. Not be- it's because like he's he is quite overt that he makes more money by doing um because he, he's also a, a chef on the internet and he's like if, I don't know if you've seen any of his cooking but he is <laughs> fucking brilliant yeah he's I think he's got two uh YouTube channels which are kind of different aspects of his cooking but Headbangers Kitchen was the first one which is a huge success like he's I don't know if you if watch some of his cooking stuff he's really really excellent nice. um. But that makes him, that's much more viable than trying yeah. to make death metal and black metal. So it's, it, if you like it, go out and fucking buy stuff like this. Go out and, and if you like the So Hideous album, go and buy it. Because if you, if you don't, what the musicians aren't going to make more. And maybe that's why they haven't done that album in yeah. five years, because it's fucking expensive. It sounds it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, the economics of making music are really sad. Anyway, the Holocene Termination by Demon Steeler has been added to the jukebox, and we both think it's fucking wicked, and that is three from three where we've agreed. We haven't had a week like that in bloody ages. That's well, nice, isn't it, for the last one of the year? Yeah, very nice. It's not the end for the Hate Crew Gay by Jukebox for 2020 yet, though. Uh, next week, we are going to be back with our top 20 albums of the year, uh, and we're not going to be putting all of them in because that we'd be here all fucking day. Uh, we're going to be putting one album each from them into the jukebox. Uh, but for now, uh, that is there at the Hate Crew Gay Bar. That's Marathi for time, but I probably just said it really, really, really wrong. So I'm sorry, India. We finish this week on a camp classic, This, uh, as we usually do. This is where we take a work of metal that spoke to us as quiz and explain why. And this week is the frankly superb In the Grip of Winter by the daddies of Doomy Death Metal Autopsy, who I have seen precisely once. And frankly, I'm really, really annoyed at the universe that they haven't been the band that I've seen more than anyone else there fucking wonderful that one time uh first things first as usual though uh matt where are you on autopsy i don't like the vocals like at all um so it's yeah. and that's all for help for metal this Off week <laughs> i love chris reifert's vocals i love them I, I, I there's very little i can say that's bad about autopsy at all like then they are a band who I, I shit you not they go into a studio and they record and it takes them nine days to do an album most bands it takes them weeks but they basically go well being in a studio is expensive we need to fucking rehearse <laughs> so they just practice really hard and so when they go in it's like one take and then it's just kind of fiddling with you know, tones and moving microphones around and shit like that the old stuff though like mental funeral and several severed survival probably the two like in terms of the the doomy side of death metal probably the two best records i've ever heard like fucking in terms of that end of death metal you know I'm, I, I wouldn't really like to compare this to kind of well i would compare this to scream bloody gore actually that's closer but i wouldn't compare this to leprosy or mental fu- or, mental funeral or uh Orders of madness or um cause of death or um i certainly wouldn't start comparing them to bolt thrower because that's literally kind of the opposite like Here's one that's kind of really slow and then it's kind of speeds up. And here's one that's just sounds like a tank charge. 
got a friend who's a military historian who says that Bolt Thrower probably are the only band who sing about what who do metal about war in a good way because they're the only ones who make it sound horrible enough. Anyway, we're not talking about Bolt Thrower today. That'll happen not today. <laughs> not today, but if I can find a song that like, <laughs> that works. Um, I will be honest though, Bolt Thrower songs are just so much about like war or Warhammer 40k that there's not an awful lot there. Like like World Eater, what am I going to get from that? Um, anyway, having to said you don't like the vocals, do you like anything else about it? Before I get into why it's camp, uh, yeah, I thought it was all right musically. Sorry, <laughs> that was all right. Forgive him, listeners. He knows not <laughs> what he says. There, there are there are some people who will uh, who for whom this band are sacrosanct, right? Like they're they're a legend. Were, yeah, <laughs> yeah they they're they're autopsy. If you like autopsy, autopsy are unique. Um, there's no one who is as good at doing what they do as them. Uh, on to White's Camp, though. I will give you for free that there is nothing lyrically at all. Yeah, yeah. You said <laughs> that to me last week, so I've been a bit, a bit confused, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Um, well, the lyrics are all kind of horrific death metal shit, yeah, yeah. right? So it's it's obvious that it's there's nothing there. Is there anything at all you've got out of this that's spoken to your queer side? Does that um, riff at the start, which is quite a common sort of death metal riff, which has the sort of, no, 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 not like that. No, I don't mean it. I can see your face. <laughs> I don't mean it like it sounds common, but I mean it's it's um. It's just the way you said metal, common. No, yeah, it's but death metal common commonly has to rhyme with scum. death metal commonly has riffs that have the sort of swagger to them that make them sound quite camp. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, no, that well, back off, Thomas. <laughs> no, no, I was, I was, I was, I was not really. My hackles weren't really. <laughs> I was laughing. Um, that is in one why I first noticed this. It's oh, not okay, last reason, cool. but it is it, that riff at the start. That kind of swagger. That kind of yeah. do 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 do. I, I'm probably going to get in trouble for the PRS if I start making that noise. So I'm not going to do that. But the the opening riff, that kind of bouncy swaggery thing, I always think. I know that's meant to sound really macho, but that riff on its own could be a yes homo. Like, it's so kind of bouncy and mincy and happy and hey, and death metal is really fun. And like Autopsy are the band that are most fun, right? They are the band who most go, death metal is supposed to be fun, let's make it fun, and just have lyrics about being you know ripped apart from the inside. Yeah. That kind of swagger I always feel is kind of, it's the death metal metal equivalent of um, um, you should be dancing or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I think black metal has the like is the gayest genre overall, but I think death metal has the gayest riffs. Like, there's there's so much of that. Like, yeah, swagger and balance. I mean, we've spoken not as in depth as we will, I'm sure, but about like Amon and Marth. Like, they every fucking song of theirs sounds like super gay, and it's because of that. The problem with the monomath isn't, you know, when are we going to talk? What is there anything to talk about? The problem is, we need a spin-off podcast for it. Yeah. There is, yeah, there is too much to talk about, and there are too many. You know, there are songs that we could talk about for. Um, there, no, I'm, spoilers. There is one song that's going to be a camp classic, which is also going to be a, a, a like the oar strikes the water, where it's it's like full of euphemisms, and it's also incredibly like. There's another gay thing that has nothing to do with the fact that one bit sounds like sounds like dicks. There's loads of it like that, but 
autopsy are kind of particularly good for that kind of swaggery. Hey, hey, how you doing? But when you talk to a guy, um, that's not actually the real reason, though. The real reason is Chris Reifert, who used whose vocals you don't like, but I think is fucking wicked, possibly more than any other death metal vocalist, except one who I'll get to. He gets that it's supposed to be theatrical and he goes full ham, right? He is the death metal equivalent of the pantomime dame. It's just, it's, you know, screaming bloody gore, if you'll excuse the mixed metaphors, rather than, you know, literally being Christopher Biggins. And let's be honest, all of us would rather it was Chris Reifert than Chris Biggins. Um, but do you get that? Like, it's so over the top and yeah. overblown and hey, and fabulous, darling, let's, let's, welcome to the show. Yeah, I can see that actually, because um, we just mentioned that we did a, I think it was a Come Classic on Flesh God Apocalypse song a few months back. And I think I had the same sort of reactions there. Like, I hated the vocals, but I think one of your reasons was it's so fucking over the top and theatrical and that is a lot in the yeah. vocals and everything that sort of yeah it definitely makes sense for this as well maybe i just don't like that sort of thing <laughs> yeah i mean obviously if you don't like it you don't like it you know in much in the same way that james doesn't like any of the music that we like um i do love those vocals but i the thing i love most is about how much he's enjoying them and about how much he's trying to kind of to make it fun for you and to by he does it by turning everything up to 11 and the moment you get to there it's always it's immediate starts to become a bit fesp if you're doing lyrics like this where it's obviously ridiculous right like mm. it's not like like i'm uh, amen ra turn it up to 11 but i, I genuinely think colin colin's heart is breaking when he's singing what he's yeah. singing so i don't think that that's kind of camp and thesp but because autopsy is, is literally singing about being you know ripped in two and things like that it's different. Yeah, I mean, because that is fun, isn't it? Yeah. Like, torture. It's great. <laughs> well, no, but it's obviously not real, though. That's the thing. It's, it, you know, it's like a splatter horror. Yeah. No, exactly. No, that's a good comparison, isn't it? Because, like, those, like, splatter films, slasher films, all that sort of stuff, like, they're meant to be, I mean, a lot of them are meant to be quite camp as well, but they're meant to be, like, just over the top and ridiculous, and, you know, that's that's all part of the fun of it. Yeah. I mean, there is there is only there are only two singers I can think of who go further down that route than hit than him, and one of them is obviously Trevor Strind from uh, the Black Dahlia Murder, who who just gets it, who just gets. I'm the front man of a death metal band. I need to go way over the top. This is like you know power metal just down tuned. Uh, and the other one, of course, is uh, David Vincent, who is just a massive ham naturally. Who just just gets on stage and says, "Look at my boots. I'm here to be fabulous, darling. Have have you have you seen my wife? She's she's in a really kinky band, and I'm now going to make a record that sounds like that band and claim that's really death metal. Um, but enough about Ella Devine and Minsanum, so I've had that rant before. That makes sense as well, though, because um, what I was saying about like this is maybe just this thing that uh, sometimes like that's the type of death metal that's not for me. I think I've said before." And you're not going to like this either, but I fucking hate Morbid Angel. Um, and, you know, that sort of links all three bands, I guess. We're doing Morbid Angel for a Camp Classic soon, then. Oh, good, good. <laughs> I mean, they are incredibly fucking calm, so, like, you know, that's probably going to be easy. 
yeah, they're also one of the like the. the I will hear many criticisms about everything after that, and I know everyone has different opinions on literally everything from the albums beginning with D onwards. But the first three Morbid Angel records, flawless. Just if you want to know how to do death metal, that's it. Like it's it's kind of that's the first three Morbid Angel records are kind of the first four Black Sabbath records, first five Black Sabbath records really for death metal. Like it just says that's what that's what you can do with this. We can do the fast one, we can do the slow one, then we can do the one that mixes them in and is is kind of more a bit more accessible at the same time. We're going to do that, do the really twisted stuff and really evil stuff, and and we're also going to do the stuff that sounds kind of really dirty and dirty. I I just think death might have done more things, but I think Morbid Angels just did that kind of defined the genre a bit better with that those three records. Also. The one of those old records that where I will go, no, I, I will accept criticism of that I'm not the world's biggest screen bloody gore fan. That's the only one of those kind of real classic ones that I go. Um, anyway, that's a long, that's a much longer conversation. Um, I think we've kind of explained in the grip of winter by autopsy and fucking hell, this episode is going to be long. Um, is also the title of my sex day. Uh, we will have another camp classic for you next week, uh, which will come from one of our top 20s. So uh, you'll understand why I'm not dropping that spoiler just yet. Uh, we'll also be celebrating a time Dillinger escape plan, put their hands up as allies in a way we felt mattered. And I don't know why I said that with so much surprise. It's Dillinger escape plan. Um, but that is all for Hellbent for Metal 57. Matt, it has been splendid, as always. It has, and I'm sure the listeners are all looking forward to seeing how high up Merle are on your album of the year list. I mean, I've just been quite public on Twitter that I think it's the, the record I've hated most all year, <laughs> so it's it's not going to be on it. I'm not I'm not angry about it anymore. I've worked <laughs> that out of my system, but it's it's not going to be on my list. It's not going to be on your list either. That bit's going to be edited out. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course I won't. Uh, but until next week, uh, when yeah, there'll be a suspicious absence from Matt's Top 20, listen to Volbeat, or sorry, listen to Worldbeat, listen to So Hideous, and listen to Demon Stealer, and remember, it does get better. Goodbye. Bye. Not seriously, I'm going to edit Merle at your top 20. We'll have a top 19.